0: Hello, my fellow ortho enthusiasts, and welcome to the Seaview Ortho podcast, where we cover everything orthopedics to get you back to quality living. I am your host, Layla Jabbar, and you are joining us for episode five, where we will be getting a little footsie talking about shoes, conditions of the feet resulting from bad footwear, and the role of a surgical technologist. Today we are joined by Dr. Aaron Green and Gina Rubino. From Seaview Orthopedics, Dr. Green is a board-certified, fellowship-trained foot and ankle surgeon. Not only is he a stand-up guy, but he also did stand-up comedy for six years. Another awesome fact about Dr. Green was that he he was an Olympic-level short-track speed skater. From Tom's River Surgery Center, Gina Rubino is a surgical technologist who is currently in school to become a physician assistant. She started as a sterile processing technician, which is where she met Dr. Green. Over the past five years, she has become his personal scrub tech at the center.
1: Thank you all for joining me. I know, thanking Gina for coming. Of course, she has to deal with me in the OR almost <laughs> twice a week, so extra time is wow. And thank you, Leela, for the wonderful introduction.
0: Oh, you're most welcome. And we appreciate Gina for being here. Um, for those who don't know, Gina, what a you know operating room surgical technologist is, can you just explain some of the like, major responsibilities?
2: Sure, so um, first and foremost, my major responsibility, number one, is patient care, Um, taking care of the patient, making sure they're properly um, taken care of in the best of their ability and um, providing sterile technique and making sure sterile technique is throughout the whole procedure, and my second major responsibility is making sure that the surgeon has everything necessary for their case, making sure the case goes well. We all want a happy surgeon, happy surgeon makes a happy case. So um, every case, it varies on the instrumentation you need for any procedure. So depending on if it's a bunion or if it's a Liz Frank or if it's a bimal fracture, they're all different things that you need and that's my responsibility is to make sure everything is there that he needs to make the case go smooth and to make his day go better. And I also work very closely with the physician assistant to help retract, and to help make sure that everything goes smooth.
1: Basically, she keeps us in line.
2: (laughs) I I keep everybody sane.
0: So very important for the surgeon. But um, can you explain maybe how your position is, you know, very important for the patient as well?
2: Yeah, definitely. So um, sterile technique is definitely a major thing. I mean, if there's an infection, that's number one key role is to not have any infections, so to make sure everybody's keeping their sterile technique. um, I also work very closely with the circulating nurse, you know, to make sure everything's going smooth, um, making sure that the patient has the right um, grounding pad, you know, everything from start to finish.
0: That sounds like an extremely important role, and keeping him in line (laughs) might be, you know, even more of an important role. (laughs) That's the most challenging part of her job. Yeah. Um, So, from those very early steps as babies, we're wearing shoes on our feet. The right shoe can keep your feet healthy and your body safe from injury. So, what are the signs that you're wearing a bad shoe?
1: So, Signs that you're wearing a bad shoe are multifold. Um, Anytime you're having foot pain because of a shoe you're wearing uh, should indicate that that's probably not a shoe you should be wearing. Uh, Also, there can be physical manifestations of it. You can have blisters or red marks, rubbing, even a little bit of skin abrasion due to an improperly fitting shoe. Um, It's actually interesting. This is an older study. Back in the late 80s, the AOFAS, which is the American Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Society, uh, did a study on women's footwear. Um, They actually found that 88% of women admitted to wearing improper or ill-fitting shoe wear, and this does contribute to a substantial amount of orthopedic um, conditions and burden.
0: I was literally just going to ask you if I wear a bad shoe going to DJs, you know, my cute shoes <laughs> versus running on the boardwalk in sneakers. Is there a difference, you know, in those types, if, even if they're both bad shoes, is one worse than the other?
1: Um, definitely the the DJs, and you will be judged by saying DJs, um, <laughs> I know. Is, is probably, Forgive me. <laughs> is probably the, the worst of uh, the options um, with regard to running shoes, which is important running shoes. Most that are now commercially available are are definitely adequate. The issue is, people generally wear them a little bit too long. Uh, Shoes should be replaced, or running shoes or athletic shoes should be replaced generally every 300 miles or three to six months, Mm -hmm. regardless of mileage on them. Uh, And that will prevent breakdown of the shoe and it will allow the shoe to do what it's supposed to do. There is actually a substantial amount of technology built into modern uh, sports footwear. Um, With regard to the DJ shoes, <laughs> since we are now going into um, DJ season. Memorial
0: Day is coming. And it's around yes. the corner.
1: Um, There's definitely things you should watch out for. Uh, from the orthopedic foot and ankle surgeon in me, I need to say that all heels should be with under an inch and a half. Yeah, That is not necessarily reality. <laughs> um, uh, again, wide toe box, all those things are important. Uh, the vast majority of features of a DJ shoe, as we will now refer to them as, oh, <laughs> um, can contribute to um, many conditions, most specifically bunions, hammer toes. Um, and those are things that uh, the AOFA study actually looked at.
0: Wow. So I need to reconsider my closet a little bit as it relates to
2: heels. Isn't moisture a thing too? If Moist- moisture is- You know, if you're dancing too much at DJ's and your shoes are too tight, I would feel that that would contribute as well. <laughs>
1: Especially um, if a drink is spilled on them, yes. Um, so moisture is definitely an issue. Um, you actually see that in athletic shoes as well. Um, moisture can contribute to orthopedic pathology, such as fungus. So there may be a fungus among us, mm-hmm. even though most of the time <laughs> I'm a fungi. guy. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: Sorry. <laughs> um, but... Uh, It can contribute to, one, some pathology with fungus, but also moisture will allow the foot to slip in a shoe because it will act almost as a lubricant. That slipping can allow for blister formation and just skin damage and skin trauma, which can then lead to other issues like infection. Wow.
0: Not to mention whatever's on the floor at these clubs that is making your feet wet, too. Yeah. Which is a story for another day. but I'm um... interested. (laughs) Dr. Green, what are the most important things to consider when choosing a shoe is, you know, obviously it's different for the different reasons you'd be wearing that shoe. But if you could pick like, you know, your top most important things to look for when you're choosing a shoe.
1: So in an athletic shoe, if you're a runner, you have to kind of see what your gait is, what your normal gait kinematics are. Um, Some people who are very biomechanically sound and have a really good running stride, um, they don't need much in a shoe. They can wear a relatively lightweight shoe. Um, They can also utilize shoes that are, quote unquote, energy storing. Um, There's been a lot of work on the military end for wounded warriors, where there are braces that are now kinematic braces, where they store energy and allow for forward propulsion. That's now been built into shoe wear, and multiple um, large brand shoe manufacturers are making a race shoe that will be faster than a normal, non-well-designed shoe because it does store energy, gives you a little bit more spring and will actually help propulse you. Um, If you are not a biomechanically normal runner, then you need to look at a shoe that is structured for what your gait actually is. Uh, Unfortunately, most people out there are not biomechanically normal. Uh, Most people do require a structure shoe which will give you a little bit more support, will give you a little bit more cushion, and will actually, at heel strike, kind of force you to land and roll over from the outside aspect of the lateral aspect of your foot, then land flat foot and toe off medially or off of your big toe. And structure shoes are very, very good for that. And most runners, especially recreational runners, should utilize that technology. Um, If you are a very high-level athlete and are racing, you probably should have a race shoe, which is going to be lighter, less cushioned, and less supportive. And a training shoe should be able to be a little bit more durable, uh, give you a little bit more cushion, and be a little bit more structure-oriented so that as you're pounding away on these base miles, you're not doing damage, which will allow you to get to race day uninjured.
0: That's great. Gina, what kind of shoes do you wear when you're at work?
2: When I'm at work, I wear It's Cold Cas- Calzoro. Um, they have a little bit of a, an, a heel and they're rubber and they have a little bit of acupuncture on the, the top of the shoe. They have a little bit. So your foot is always moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like definitely you should be switching out your shoes often when you're working in the operating room. Um, like Dr. Green said, um, wear and tear on the shoe could be a huge issue for the foot. I mean, especially if you... Sh- I feel like a lot of people too, often. weirdly enough as it sounds, they don't size themselves correctly like some people wear too tight of a shoe some people wear too loose of a shoe and that could cause a huge problem am i correct when Definitely i say that
1: correct. so most of us in the or wear some form of a clog based yes. shoe um, clogs are come in two types so there is the birkenstock type clog mm-hmm. which is a negative rise heel uh, which puts a little bit more stretch on the Achilles. And then there are the Dansko and your brand Cal-Zero, shoes, oh, yeah. which have a little Very bit similar. of a lift to it, which take a little bit of a stress off of the Achilles. Um Overall, generally what the shoes that we use in the OR are, they generally are waterproof because dry feet are yeah. happy feet.
2: Rubber, rubber. The My shoes are rubber. Rubber,
1: so you can autoclave <laughs> them, so you can actually sterilize yes, them. And anyone yes. that's seen my OR shoes knows that they <laughs> need to go in there a lot more than they actually do. Um Uh, But really, we try to wear things that are very, very comfortable so that we don't necessarily have to think about ourselves while we're actually operating. So that becomes one thing that gets taken out of the equation.
2: We're also standing on our feet for a long amount of time. Right. That's why I chose
1: foot surgery. I get to sit.
2: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So what about, like, the
0: normal uh, Joe Schmo? I'm just trying to think of, like, teachers, uh, people who sit at their desks all day that might have to wear dress shoes. Or, um, you know, if you're not on your feet all day or running laps um how often should i be changing out my normal shoe uh casual? again nor-
1: normal shoes should be normal wear signs of the shoe when the leather is getting stretched when the sole is getting pretty pretty scuffed and beat up uh, again the the quote-unquote average normal working shoe um should be comfortable it should have an adequately spaced toe box so if you have a wide foot you need a wide toe box if you don't have a wide foot not so important um, you want it to be comfortable Um, And again, a lot of people are not so biomechanically normal, and I call it, they don't have an off-the-shelf kind of foot. Um, If you don't have an off-the-shelf kind of foot, you have two options. You can fix the foot, or you can fix the shoe. It is markedly easier to fix the shoe than fixing the foot, Um, and that's where custom orthotics come into play. Um, So orthotics are inserts that replace the normal insert of an athletic shoe, that little kind of cushy bed that comes out. Um, Or it can actually, for a dress shoe, just ride on top of a a leather-based sole. Uh, An orthotic is custom molded to your foot. Um, The advantage to that is if you're not quite normal, and most of us are, and me most certainly not normal, (laughs) um, you get to kind of adjust the shoe to make it work for you. There are a couple of different methods of making an an orthotic. Um, Probably the oldest method is actually doing a cast, where you make a slipper cast, and then that is the negative, and you make a positive mold off of that. Um, After that, there was the method of using a crush box. And actually, most providers use the crush box method, method, which is just a little box with a very soft foam. You stand in the foam, one foot each side, and based upon that, they make the mold and a positive and then a negative. However, when you're doing the crush box method, that really is just looking at the foot statically. It's not looking at the foot during normal gait. Uh, the way we do orthotics here he views, we actually use a gait lab. We have a force platform where you actually are walking across, with pr- and the force plat- plat- plate has sensors in it. It senses how much pressure you're putting on it. Based upon that, it will do a mold to see what pressure points need to be relieved, what pressure points kind of need to be built up a little bit to give you a normal gait. I personally feel you should be building an orthotic to what you are doing dynamically or what you're doing actually while walking.
0: So like the Dr. Scholl's is not going to be custom made at all. So is there a benefit to buying an over-the-counter drugstore insert?
1: So it actually depends. Okay. Um, Dr. Scholl's was actually an interesting company in that they developed these little kiosks. And if you go to Walmart, definitely seen them. <laughs> um, it will basically use the force platform that we're using, but on a much more simplistic level, and then make suggestions based upon how you're loading your foot as to what orthotic would be more beneficial to you. So those actually aren't bad. Okay. Um, there are also off the shelf orthotics that are heat moldable where you kind of shove them in the oven and then put them in your shoe, which was actually very interesting because way back in the day when I was skating, they actually developed carbon fiber speed skates that were heat moldable. Hmm. Um, And when I was just getting done competing, my youngest child was just starting to speak. She couldn't figure out why I was putting my skates in the oven, and she proceeded to put her sneakers in the oven. Oh, no. Oh, no. So it was pretty bad.
0: Oh, God.
1: Um, But so there are definitely options for that where you can heat mold them. We actually do keep a a set of relatively over-the-counter stock orthotics that are heat moldable that we can heat mold with you in the office to actually give you a semi-custom fit. Uh, And, again, they work better than nothing, especially when insurance won't approve. Uh, a full custom orthotic so most certainly definitely better than nothing
0: excellent and what can the right shoe orthotic combination shoe alone what can the right shoe do for a person
1: um it can take someone who is essentially having pain with every step of the day and make them relatively asymptomatic through the day and it's, it's a great utility for a whole bunch of conditions most significantly plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, uh, metatarsalgia, uh, and even hammer toes and bunions.
0: And who wants to live in pain? And I feel like when your feet hurt, it really does trickle up your body, and then your whole body starts to hurt. So that's the one
1: problem with my world in that if you have a wrist injury or shoulder injury, you're not constantly on it the whole day. If your feet hurt, feet are there to get you from point A to point B. Uh, Unless someone's willing to push you around in a wheelchair, there's no real way of getting rid of that.
0: So true. So true. So from what I'm understanding, the effects of wearing bad shoes can distract from everyday productivity, and we don't want that. So Dr. Green, what conditions, um, more specifically, let's talk about a few, can be... caused by wearing the poor shoe
1: so let's go back to dj since it is coming up on <laughs> Listen,
0: i brought it up one time
1: <laughs> and you are going to be judged for a he's very long gonna, time never going to let
0: this oh, go oh gosh
1: no no this is this is something you <laughs> savor um so the one thing that the aofas study really did show is improper women's footwear can lead to bunions um and that's probably the most significant condition Uh, because once you develop a bunion, it can lead to other forefoot pathology. As Gina can attest to, bunion surgery is not necessarily benign. No. Um, So what they found that is really tight fitting toe boxes can kind of squish your toes together. Um, And with that, um, it can lead to, in a genetically susceptible host, uh, developing substantial forefoot pathology. Um, Bunions do tend to have some form of genetic component to it. Uh, But again, it was found that in someone who has a little bit of an underlying predisposition to it, um, poor fitting shoe wear can really be an issue. Um, The the key with bunions is really to get to them before they're a problem. Bunions are generally considered to be a problem when despite shoe wear and activity modification, um, they hurt. The reason why they hurt is because you have a joint that is now subluxed, um, or frankly dislocated. And in no other specialty of orthopedics do we even remotely tolerate a subluxed or dislocated joint for more than a few hours, let alone a few years. Um, And what happens is those joints become very or start to become very, very arthritic. In my world, the ideal time to fix a bunion would be the day the bunion becomes symptomatic because that is the day that you're starting to develop some arthritis in that joint. I can make a foot look beautiful and completely correct a bunion but if you have some underlying arthritic disease in that foot even though your foot looks perfect you're still going to have some discomfort because you there's no good way of getting rid of the arthritis.
0: So the sooner the better with bunions it sounds.
1: The sooner the better with bunions, as soon as they become symptomatic. I would never recommend fixing what we call an asymptomatic bunion for just cosmetic reasons, which, again, the only thing I can give you is pain for a couple of weeks. Right. But as soon as that bunion starts hurting, that that's the time that bunion should really be evaluated to be corrected.
0: And um, as it relates to hammer toe, because I know that's probably another one that causes a little bit of discomfort there as well, eventually, um, what, what would be like the diagnosis treatment <clears throat> options for that.
1: So again, hammer toes become usually secondary to the bunions. The, as the hallux to the great toe pushes over, it starts to push up the second toe. That second toe starts to contract. Um, there are a lot of factors. Um, it determines whether the hammer toe is flexible or fixed, whether it's actually reducible and you can actually straighten the toe. Um, it depends upon what's going on at what we call the MTP joint or kind of that flexor crease where the toes meet the foot. To see if that's starting to sublux or dislocate um based upon all that um, determines what kind of surgical correction you need but it is unfortunately a surgical correction as Gina can attest how many different ways have you seen me fix a bunion or fix a toe
2: oh my god so many ways
1: (laughs) there are actually over 120 described bunion surgeries and probably over 25 described hammer toe claw toe surgeries
0: all custom to the person that you're treating
1: all dependent upon what pathology the patient is is manifesting. So, yes. Excellent.
0: So we're going to go to the next one, which is, I I hear this one so often, uh, plantar fasciitis. So many of my friends have this, and they struggle with it for, like, a long period of time. So um, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, my aching feet. (laughs) Um, So
1: I actually (laughs) suffer from it. Okay. Um, It is a very, very common pathology. Um, It is essentially where the plantar fascia is a band of tissue that runs from the the tip of the big toe and starts onto the calcaneus or your heel bone. As normal human beings, we take 10,000 steps per day. Uh, What happens is when we take 10,001 or do something like ultra marathon or have that really long walk on the beach, uh, we actually start tearing that plantar fascia off of the heel bone. Uh, Every step we take then tears it a little bit more. What happens is we fall asleep, our foot goes in the down position or points, that shortens the plantar fascia. Plantar fascia goes great, they're not beating me up and tries to lay down all this scar tissue. What do we do? We stand up in the morning and we rip all that scar tissue and we look like the 2000 year old man or woman. Mm -hmm. Um, So very, very common. It tends to be a self-limited condition, but by self-limited it can be 18 months. Um, So you don't necessarily want to endure that long. Um initial conservative treatment is a nighttime extension splint, so it holds your foot extended so the scar tissue forms in right in the right position and right location. So first step isn't painful. Um either an orthotic or a gel heel cup to give you extra cushion or squish. Um physical therapy and some form of anti-inflammatory. You can add a corticosteroid injection, which isn't necessarily fun but efficacious. Sounds painful. Um and then you can go into uh surgical interventions and as Gina can attest, surgical interventions are either open or can be done minimally invasively mm. with with small incisions and using an ultrasound probe to, to breed it or big open incisions. Yeah.
2: I mean, the great part is, is there's so many ways you could do it and fix it, but you don't want to get to that point. Right. And And so
0: if it's 18
2: months uh, that usually people
0: deal with it, um, does it usually just go away by itself or?
1: So in roughly 70 to 80% of patients, yes, no, it will be self-limited and it will go away between nine and 18 months. Uh, In a certain subset of the population, no, 30, 20%, it's not going away Mm. and then does need kind of more aggressive treatment.
2: Do you want to agree that also patients wait too long? Oh, everyone waits too way long. No, way, one, way too. No long. one wants to
1: start to recovery and be off their feet.
2: That's another thing. That's a big problem. People wait too that. long and they progress and they keep getting worse and they think it's going to be okay and it's not okay, and that's when it leads to worse things.
1: And you can you see it in the O.R. when someone waited too long instead of being a little case, it becomes a it becomes really, a very really big
2: case, big case,
1: very
0: big case. So uh, if someone is dealing with foot pain and they just think their feet hurt, what would be specific symptoms of plantar fasciitis?
1: Um, so essentially plantar fasciitis is first step in the morning pain, then pain that gets better during the day, but get worse at worse at night centered on the inner aspect of the heel. And, you know, it's like, I kind of don't want to walk on this, scene and then start walking on the outside of your foot to make up for it. <laughs> and then the outside of your foot starts hurting
0: <laughs> and then
1: you really got some issues.
0: Makes sense. Um, because our foot is attached to our ankle. This could obviously lead to some ankle issues. <laughs> I'm giving a little bit of a background on Is the body. Is the knee bone connected to the hip bone? Do we get to say that? Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, I assume that your ankle can be affected by these foot conditions too. So, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: So definitely. So once you start to walk abnormally because of some foot pathology, whether it's a bunion or plantar fasciitis or other foot pathology, um, specifically just the example of plantar fasciitis, you start walking on the outside of your foot. Um, If you're walking on the outside of the foot, outside, and then you hit a little bit of a rock, that will then roll you over, and you now are dealing with an ankle sprain, uh, which is probably one of the most common pathologies in my world. Uh, The AOFAS did a study back in the 80s as well, looking at the number of ankle sprains, and they actually found that on average in the U.S., there were 27,192 ankle sprains in the u.s every day wow no not a made-up number actual real Starting number that was very specific memories. yeah but that's very on, that's specific some days there may be a little bit more some days there may be a little bit less very i
2: specific. believe it i
0: believe it and it's awful to get over a sprain uh, and just so not
1: only may you have a sprain but if you roll over in that manner you cannot also have an ankle fracture mm. um the issue with sprains is yeah an ankle sprain is pretty common um but an ankle sprain is actually pathology it's tearing the ligaments of the ankle Anyone that sprained their ankle tears their ligaments. Um, If you don't rehabilitate a sprain, you can then go on to chronic instability. If you go on to chronic instability, that ankle is now moving not the way Mother Nature intended it to. And we are now finding a large association between patients that have ankle sprains in their teens and 20s and early 30s. Those are the patients that are developing ankle arthritis in their 40s and 50s. We have great answers for ankle sprains, Um, as Junior can attest. Ankle sprain, lateral ligament reconstruction, easy, reliable procedure, no problem, reliable short recovery. As Junior can also attest, ankle replacement, not so much the same thing. Much bigger procedure, uh, much longer recovery. So again, ideally, if you do sprain your ankle, that's something you want to rehabilitate so you don't go on to chronic instability and you... Than have a stable ankle that's not going to give you a problem in the future versus someone who's chronically unstable. You're going to need to be probably reconstructed with a, either an ankle fusion or an ankle replacement, uh, which is a new emerging technology in the future.
2: Wow. Yeah, you
0: don't want to get to that point. But and how many to. different ankle systems are there out there now?
2: <laughs> wow. A lot. Yeah, so
0: A lot.
1: There are definitely different ways of replacing an ankle.
0: I've been hearing a lot about this like technology and instead of, I guess it's instead of the fusion. Yeah. So uh,
1: traditionally gold standard for ankle arthritis was ankle arthrodesis or ankle fusion where you're basically removing the joint, screwing the two bones together and making it bolt stiff. Um, That would lead to issues in the future with adjacent joint degeneration. Um, Back in 1997, the first um, FDA approved total ankle system uh, was uh, placed in the U S uh, we're now on the fourth generation. Wow. Um, and over the years, they've become much more reliable and much more durable.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Um, Gina, you're obviously, like, super familiar with all these surgeries and conditions we're talking about. You're there with him. Um, what
2: do you think that we, you see most often? Most often, number one, top, bunions, definitely. It's so common. People do not wear the right shoes. Um, hammer toes, definitely. Onions cause the hammer toes, pushing of the forward of the toes, and um, definitely when people don't take care of, like he said, when you have an ankle sprain and you let it go and you don't rehabilitate it and you don't get the proper treatment, it forms into you need now you need a fusion, now you need a total ankle, and I've seen I've seen many of them, so people need to understand when they get an injury, they need to take care of it as soon as possible. Don't wait on it. It's very important, especially your feet. You're always on your feet. You're on your feet all day. That's the most important part.
1: And it becomes very, very important to know who you're going to treat it. Um, total, especially with total ankle. Um, it's not commonly done in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, there are right now. I think the stats are U.S. There are a total of 550,000 total knees done in the U.S. Right now, using last year's stats, I think there are 14,500 total ankles done. So it's a m- much more limited marketplace. Um, you, you wanna find a surgeon who one does do total ankles, but also does do a higher volume of total ankles and really does understand the the, the, the procedure and the, the biomechanics of it. Um, I can tell you I'm faculty and designer for one total ankle and lead designer on a second total ankle system. And it, it really is markedly different than hips and knees, so you really do want to go out and and select someone who, who does work in that space
0: frequently. Do your research. Go with the experts. Absolutely, definitely. And I'll toot our own horn and say Seaview definitely has many, many experts. Um, that so why our like horn along? Listen, I should have <laughs> next time, next time. Um, Dr. Green, people with flat feet. You know, just touching on this last aspect for this podcast episode. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what are I hear flat feet, but what are flat feet? Are they actually flat feet? <laughs>
1: They are actually Flaffy. So Flaffy is you, you can kind of look. So, again, we're getting into DJ season. Oh, my means, gosh. Which means we're also getting into pool season. So um, when you see people walking out of the pool, you can see people who have this very, very nice, what you think of as a classic foot structure, where you see the heel mark and then the little bit of a sliver on the outside and then the forefoot. Um, so those are people that have relatively high arches. And then you see the Fred Flintstone guys oh my who are walking out of the <laughs> pool that just have those lo- so you just true. see the blocks walking away at the water stain on the concrete. Um so f- it really is a spectrum. Um the, and there's no such thing that's quote unquote normal. Um so high arched feet, or what you would think of as your typical ballerina feet, or what your your aesthetically beautiful foot. I get to say that because I'm a foot and ankle surgeon, um, are probably not the best feet because they're relatively rigid. So people with high arched feet tend to develop midfoot arthritis in their 40s and 50s because the foot is not really that flexible. On the flip side you have people with flat feet where kind of the inside ankle bone is pointing to the ground and you're kind of rolling over on it. Happen to be very, very durable feet because um, they're very flexible. The problem is flat feet tend to stretch the structures on the inside of the ankle, mainly the tendons, and those tendons, as they get stretched, can one start to have tendonitis, and then, as time goes on, have tendon tears, um, and that can lead to difficulty. Initially, the foot is very, very flexible, and you can reconstruct that without doing fusion, so that's done with tendon transfers and done with osteotomies, where we're actually cutting foot bones and moving them around. But ultimately, if you let a flat foot go longer, you need to do fusions, as Gina just said, Mm -hmm. much bigger procedure with a much longer recovery and with a much less functional outcome.
0: So moral of this whole episode, take care of your feet, (laughs) listeners. Do the preventative. I
1: thought it wasn't good at DJs.
0: It was not about DJs. You know. I should tag them in this episode because really sounds we promoted like we them way to. too much. Um, but honestly, take care of your feet. It sounds like, you know, preventative is the best way and address problems early. Um, this has been the CV ortho podcast. A special thank you to today's guest, Gina Rubino, a surgical technologist of Tom's river surgery <laughs> center and Dr. Green of CV orthopedics. You can book an appointment online with Dr. Green at CVUortho.com today. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at CV ortho and like us on Facebook for updates on upcoming episodes. Get up, get moving, and get back to quality living with CVU Orthopedics.